Well, Acts 13 is the beginning of the first missionary journey. And one of the things that we find is that the gift of prophecy plays a very prominent role on the first leg of the journey. Uh, Prophets help teachers and other leaders discern what God wanted them to do. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and after listing the names, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We don't know exactly how the prophetic gift functioned uh, in the church at Antioch, but clearly uh, it's functioning in a healthy way, and it's helping the church discern God's will, even discerning who they're to send on this mission. The gift of prophecy, uh, we could define it as the ability to spontaneously speak words given by God that you wouldn't naturally know for the sake of building up the church. It plays an important role in the New Testament church. Christians disagree on whether it's for the church today. Um, I believe that it is. If you don't, that's fine. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, at the end. But it it clearly has a powerful role to play in the New Testament. It's used, the word prophetase is used 30 times in the book of Acts. Paul gives three chapters in Corinthians to describing how to use the gift. Uh, He says things like pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. He tells the Thessalonians, don't despise prophetic utterance. So there's a a number of texts in the New Testament that talk about the gift of prophecy, how it functions, encourages believers to pursue it, sees it as an important part of how Christ guides his church. But the Bible is also full of warnings against false prophets. And we're going to run into one of them in our story tonight. Uh, Here's from Jeremiah 23, 6. Jeremiah warns of prophets who give visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. And then God goes on to say through Jeremiah, I didn't send these prophets. I didn't speak through them, yet they prophesied. And certain kings, uh, political leaders in Israel, would create a council around them and include prophets who they pretty much demanded only say positive things. Uh, An example is in 1 Kings 22.6. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400, and said, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, Oh, go up. The Lord will give it to the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Well, there is one, Micaiah, but I hate him. (laughs) He never prophesies good about me. Well, if you read the rest of the story, they compel him to prophesy finally, and um, he goes against everybody else, and then they put him in prison. (laughs) It's a hard word being a prophet. Well, after being sent out on uh, this missionary journey by a prophetic word, Saul and Barnabas set sail to the island of Cyprus. Uh, they, they start sharing the gospel all over the island, and they run into a false prophet who tries to keep a Roman official from hearing the gospel. We're going to look at that more closely in a minute. Uh, but what I want us to see in this story tonight is 
it's kind of a case study of both a healthy use of the gift of prophecy and an unhealthy use of the gift of prophecy. And, and one of the reasons I wanted to focus on that tonight and kind of hold those in balance, you feel the tension there that this is a gift that can really be used to bless and encourage the church. This is also a gift that can become twisted and harm the church. One of the reasons I wanted to kind of linger on this passage tonight is there are a couple examples right now going through the church of false prophecy. And uh, I just want to give you two examples real, real quickly. Uh, one is there were a number of prominent um, uh, prophets who said that uh, President Trump would be elected to another term. Uh, one said um, on his television show, first of all, I want to say without question, Trump is going to win the election. The Lord told me the president is going to be elected. There were dozens of these. They had millions of views on YouTube. Many of the people that showed up in, in Washington were, were there in part because of these kind of prophecies. Some of the prophets who made the false prophecy have humbly said, I'm sorry, I missed it. Some have even repented. Others have uh, doubled down and come up with increasingly bizarre explanations for how they really didn't miss it at all uh, or other things went wrong. And it's created just an enormous amount of confusion, at least among Christians that uh, pay attention to these things online. Now, second, here's a second example of false prophecy. It's, it's associated with the new internet religion, QAnon. QAnon is an internet community centered on the messages of an anonymous internet leader named Q, who began, uh, they call it dropping uh, revelation or insights about what's going to happen in the future uh, last October of 2017. And he presents himself as a highly ranked government official with access to top-level secrets, and he posts cryptic statements with prophetic-sounding utterances laced with Bible verses about apocalyptic upcoming events. And uh, if you want to know more, I don't want to go too far into this tonight, but uh, Christianity Today has a podcast called Quick to Listen, and they just reposted a, a very insightful interview about um, QAnon, if you want to learn more. Uh, prophecies swirling around in the Q movement right now include ones that uh, suggest that a, a cabal of global elites are working together and running a worldwide child trafficking ring that includes satanic worship and cannibalism, that Hillary Clinton would be arrested in 2017 and that a violent uprising would follow, that John F. Kennedy Jr. did not really die in a plane crash in 1999 but would reappear and run for office in a different party, that a mass arrest of global elite pedophiles will soon take place. Lots of things uh, in addition to that. Uh, the Q movement is making strong inroads into the evangelical church. Crew Q churches are sprouting up. Pastors are saying, some are saying that they use the, the drops from Q as a lens through which to interpret scripture, particularly the apocalyptic passages. And pastors are, are saying that uh, uh, many, some of their people are spending hours online in chat rooms discussing Q's prophecies. Christianity Today calls QAnon a semi-heresy and a cult. So just want to identify that there's some false prophecy floating around in the church today. And it's, it's, not, it's not just uh, harmless either. It's led to some 
uh, bad actions, some dangerous things. It led to a, a man walking into a, a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. With, with an assault rifle because he had heard a prophecy that there were children in the basement being molested. He began to shoot up the place until he realized there was no basement and uh, that uh, nothing of the sort was going on there. I could tell other stories like that. But I want to get back to our passage. The false prophet's name is Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, interestingly enough. He has another name, Elemas, which means wisdom or the wise one. And that's part of the danger of false prophets. They appear to be following Jesus. They appear to be wise. Often they use esoteric language that nobody else can understand. Uh, he is a magician, so he is familiar with spiritual power, but he's not connected to the source of the power, Jesus. And then our text says he, he was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God. A proconsul was like the governor of the island, and evidently he had formed an entourage or a council around him, and he put uh, a couple of prophets in it. And usually in the Bible, this is not a good thing. Uh, prophets generally are independent of power structures. Uh, when they become part of a council, uh, usually that's a sign that they're being co-opted. So Paul furiously confronts the man, says he's making uh, crooked things, straight things crooked, pronounces a curse of blindness on him. The man goes away, and the Roman political leader, able now to hear the gospel, responds. If I may, I wanted to just take a moment and tell you a little bit of my journey with the gift of prophecy. And I, I want to clearly acknowledge that different Christians see this gift in different ways. This is just one way that I see it, and I respect your right to disagree with me. When I was in seminary, I read a book called Charismatic Chaos. And it was filled with stories like the one I read about this week. I spent a lot of time this week researching uh, what's going on in prophecy in the church today. And my seminary believed in something called cessationism, which is the belief that gifts like prophecy passed away with the death of the last apostle, that they're not given to the church today. And that was fine with me. Uh, the, the book Charismatic Chaos just was filled with so much weird stuff. I didn't feel like we were missing much. Um, and I just kind of let it go. Well, about five years out of seminary, uh, I preached through 1 Corinthians, and 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 specifically addressed how to use the gift of prophecy in a healthy way, and I was prepared to teach my congregation that the gift was no longer given to the church today. And the more I studied, the more I came to believe that the text didn't say that. I could not find uh, solid evidence in Scripture to say that these gifts could not be given to the church today. And again, uh, if, if you're listening and you're a cessationist, bless you, don't need to argue with you about it. You have a very valid position. I just see it differently. Well, in 1996, I had a powerful experience with the Holy Spirit and began to practice the charismatic gifts. And Sandy and I uh, came along, had a similar experience, and uh, we began meeting with another couple and, and slowly started to learn how these gifts worked. Eventually, they worked their way into some parts of our church life. And so for 25 years... Um, I have had uh, some kind of experience with the charismatic gifts and the gift of prophecy. In my experience, and I just want to tell you my experience, I've seen the gift of prophecy heal and I've seen it hurt. 
in my experience, the gift works best in small, intimate groups of people who know and love and trust one another. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.3 gives a good description of how it works. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So prophecy builds up, it encourages, it consoles. Paul also says that prophetic words need to be tested and weighed. They don't have the same authority as Scripture. They can be off. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what was said. And I, and I have to say that some of the most powerful moments in my Christian life have been when uh, in a small group of prayer, someone uh, heard something from God that was supernaturally revealed to them that was very encouraging and helpful to me. I also have seen prophetic ministry hurt people, uh, often when it's too directive or tries to predict future events. And I'm not saying God can't or won't do that. I'm just telling you what the past 25 years uh, have taught me. When prophets get it wrong after predicting future events, like many did regarding the election, it creates a lot of confusion, and it keeps people from seeing the beauty of the gospel. So over the long weekend, I, I spent a lot of time researching all this, and maybe too much time, kind of went down the rabbit hole and just kept just hearing a lot of unhealthy prophetic uh, abuse, just stuff that's not healthy. And at one point, I'm still old school, so I print out the stuff that I read. And so at one point, I had this big stack of stuff on my, my desk, and I just remember thinking, oh, Lord, I believe in this, but it so often gets twisted up. Gosh, is, is it even worth the effort? And then an email appears in my box from someone I, I don't know who doesn't go to our church, and uh, I, I did ask if I could share it. And uh, this is part of it. This person, this man said, I'm seeking counsel on recent spiritual experiences. I've received vivid biblical dreams as of late, and my wife and I encountered the Holy Spirit in a very intense and profound way last night. We feel as if we need to do something, but aren't sure on what that is. We would appreciate any guidance you may have on the matter. I'm really not familiar with this. We talked twice over the weekend, um, and as I listened to him, it became clear that uh, the fruit of the Spirit was all over this experience. Uh, he'd had three very powerful dreams. One of them was about praying for healing. Uh, the, the next day, his wife suffers with a particular illness. Uh, he said, can I pray for you? He laid hands on her. He said he felt uh, energy coursing uh, through him. Uh, in a way that frankly scared them both. Uh, it, it touched her in a profound way. When I talked to her four days later, um, she said that the, the ailment had been significantly lifted. She knew that everything wasn't perfect, but that it was both one of the holiest moments of their lives, and what should they do with it? Well, we had a good talk. I gave them some things to read, encouraged them to find another couple to sort of asked the Lord what they should do with it, and we had a little more conversation. But when I got off the phone and looked at all the stacks of false prophecy on my desk, I just thought, all right, all right, don't throw the baby out with the bath. Um, just because something is abused doesn't mean that there's not 
something true and real there. Uh, All of God's gifts can be counterfeited, uh, but that shouldn't keep us from embracing the real thing. Well, I wanted to end real quickly. um, If this is something that you don't know much about or um, maybe it is going on around you and you're wondering, how do I know the difference between true and false prophecy? That's a, a whole sermon series, but I do think there's a couple of things we can glean from our story in Acts 13. Uh, let me just real quickly give you a couple of marks of true, true prophecy. One, true prophecy always lines up with biblical teaching. You know, it was right alongside with the prophets. It never contradicts with the true teaching of Scripture. Two, true prophecy serves the mission of the church by helping the believer know their vocation. That's often the way prophecy functions, uh, as it does in Acts 13. It helps Uh, the believer discern where they fit in the kingdom of God. Usually not as directive as, okay, you two go here. Uh, Rarely it's like that, but it it is more kind of an adjustment. Three, true prophecy results in clarity and confirmation of the Spirit's leading. Uh, Four, true prophecy is fruitful. You look back and you go, hey, we started the the first missionary journey. (laughs) The Holy Spirit led us to do that. You look back and you can see the fruit. False prophecy is often too closely aligned with power, as this gentleman in the text is. False prophecy often seems at first wise and might sound religious. Three, false prophecy creates confusion. You notice the text says that uh, uh, Amos was trying to confuse uh, the gospel so that the Roman official wouldn't believe it. And, and I think that's one of the clearest evidences that you don't have a healthy prophetic uh, experience, as if there's just lots of confusion and attention and doubt. and that, That's not a sign that it's of God. And then finally, false prophecy ultimately opposes the gospel and is a barrier to people seeing Jesus. If it's getting in the way of people seeing Jesus, it's not the real thing. Uh, prophecy is a gift of the Spirit of Jesus, and so if it functions, it will always uh, exalt and clarify Jesus. So there's a little bonus track on how to tell the difference between true and false prophecy. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for all of your gifts, and I'm just going to pray because I believe all these gifts are for the church today. I'm going to Just ask that you give us all of them, but also help us practice them according to your word and and guide us as we do so. We ask this in your name. Amen.